We're in a kind of little series in the Minor Prophets. Um, Early in September, we're going to be back in the book of Romans. But um, uh, today, we're in the book of Hosea. And, uh, you know, this is a very important uh, prophet. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to the first chapter of Hosea. We aren't going to be reading many of the verses up front. But I will be reading some verses as we go through it. Basically, what I'll be doing is mostly telling the story. And this is a story. It's an enchanting story. It's really a a wonderful story about God and His people. I've entitled it, The Prophet and the Prostitute. And you'll know that a little bit later, why I named it that way. I want to begin this morning by asking you a couple of questions. The first question is... Think of a time when someone told you to do something really hard. Think of a time in your life where someone told you to do something really hard. Maybe it was a teacher who gave you an assignment that would take a lot of time and effort and you dreaded this assignment. Maybe it was a big part of your grade, you know, maybe a term paper or some project. Maybe um, it was your boss at work. You were given a project and you were given a timetable to, um, to finish that project. And now the, uh, the time was close for you to be at the end of that project. And then the second question I want to ask is this. Has God ever asked you to do something really hard? Has God ever asked you to do something really hard? Maybe uh, to teach a Sunday school class, and really the thought of doing that really kind of frightened you. Maybe it was to serve on an important committee in the church, maybe a chairperson of that committee in the church, and it was kind of overwhelming to you. Maybe to be, witness, to be a witness to that neighbor that you, knew, that you know is lost, but uh, might not be the easiest person to talk to. Maybe to get out of your comfort zone and to go on a mission trip like some of our guys went just last week. Uh, This coming summer we'll be going to Nicaragua. You know, maybe God is kind of tugging at your heart to be a part of that. Maybe um, to start tithing. And you wonder, man, how in the world am I ever going to be able to do that? I'll never forget when God impressed upon my heart to be a pastor. When I first felt the call of God upon my life to preach His Word, my first thoughts were, no way. (laughs) There's no way in the world. You know, I I can't do that. The thought of standing in front of a group of people and and preaching God's Word was really frightening to me because at that time I was a young, introverted college student, and the thought of standing up before someone to preach God's Word really was frightening to me. You know, in the Bible, God called people to do hard things. (laughs) I mean, you, you read that wherever you read it, wherever it is, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, God is always calling people to do hard things. Why? Because when it's done, He gets the glory, not us. You know, 
God always causes people to do hard things. You know, I think about some of the stories in the Bible. I, I think about Abraham who was called, imagine this, to leave home, family, culture, and go to a place he had absolutely no idea where it was. <laughs> and then I think about Moses who was called to, to deliver the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. They had been there not four years, not 40 years, but 400 years, and he would have to go in front of the Pharaoh and say, the most powerful man at that time, let my people go. A very hard thing. And then I think about Joshua, who was called by God to lead the children of Israel across the Jordan into the promised land and to conquer the Canaanites who lived there. There were giants in that land hard thing and then as we move into the new testament i think about the apostle paul who was called by god to take the gospel to the gentile world and it was his assignment to take the gospel to the roman world at that time a hard thing well in the book of hosea god commanded his prophet hosea to do a hard thing. In just a minute, we will see what that hard thing was, but first, a little background, I believe, is in order. Hosea is called a minor prophet, but he had a major message. It was a message for Israel, and it's a message for the church today. It's a message for you and me, so let's pay attention to it. The name Hosea is a derivative of the name Joshua, which means salvation. He was a young prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam, one of the worst and most wicked kings in Israel's history. He had a very difficult ministry because it was a time of apostasy and rebellion against God. The, the nation was worshiping false gods. They were worshiping the Baals, these false gods, the, the people of the land worshipped. They were committing spiritual fornication and adultery. He faithfully preached God's word, but not a lot of people were listening. <laughs> kind of reminds me of people today. His day was much like ours today. God's word is going out, not only from this pulpit, from, from pulpits all across America and the world, but a lot of people have a deaf ear to what God is saying. They just aren't listening. You know, we read in the book of Revelation, he who has an ear, let him hear. I'm wondering today, do you have an ear to hear? Not only to hear what this pastor is saying, but do you have an ear to hear what God is saying to you in your life? In your family, your workplace, your church life. Because he has something to say to us. But it's not the preacher's job to make people listen. It's the job of the preacher to faithfully proclaim God's word. And that's what Hosea did. He faithfully proclaimed the word of God. His message was a hard message. It was a message of judgment. That God was going to raise up the Assyrians who were the world power in that day. And they would invade the land to punish Israel for her rebellion and her sin. Yet coupled with this message of judgment is a message of love. 
coupled with this message of judgment, is a message of love and grace. For the day is coming when God will forgive and restore Israel when they repent and turn to Christ as their Messiah. See, Hosea's message is really totally unique to all of the other prophets. Because Hosea's life is an object lesson here. See, God uses Hosea's life as an object lesson to picture God's dealing and relationship with his people Israel. So what we have here is one object lesson. God made Hosea actually live the heartbreak of Israel's unfaithfulness by the hard thing God required him to do. And also God made Hosea live the blessing of God's forgiveness and God's love. Now let's get into the story. You know, I want to tell the story accurately, uh, but I also want to use a little little literary uh, liberty in telling it. One of my favorite pastors is Ray Stedman and heard a sermon once that he preached and, and, and he told this story with, with such um, creativity. I want to borrow a little bit of the way he began. Where does this story begin? Well, it begins when God commands Hosea to do something really hard. <laughs> and I mean really hard. He comes to, he come, God comes to Hosea one day and he says to him, I want you to get married. Okay, I want you to get married. And Hosea, the eligible bachelor that he was, heard what God said and he said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. I'm a young man and, you know, it's about time for me to kind of settle down and, and find someone who, who loves me and that I could love them and, and you know, um, raise a family and have some children. So he says, that sounds good, God. But God goes on and says, um, I have a young lady picked out for you. Her name is Gomer. And it's possible that, that, that Hosea knew Gomer. He had seen her around. And, and he gets really excited. And, and God says, but before you get too excited, Hosea, you need to know the whole story. And the whole story is this. Gomer is going to be unfaithful to you. And she's going to break your heart. She's going to break your heart like Israel has broken my heart. She's going to be unfaithful to you like Israel has been unfaithful to me. She's going to run after other men like Israel has run after other gods. God says she's going to become a prostitute. Running after many men, but I want you to marry her anyway. Now that was the hard thing that God commands Hosea to do. Just try to put yourself in in his shoes just for a minute. Just try to put yourself in his shoes and I think we can at least a little bit understand how hard that was for him to do. And, you know, we stand back from the story and, and, and we ask, why would God require his prophet to do such a thing? I mean, why would God require him to do such a thing? Why would God command him to marry someone who would become unfaithful to him? You know, we ask why, why, why all the time as well, don't we? 
When God impresses upon us or commands us to do something, we see it in the Word, and, and uh, so often we ask, why? Why does God want me to do this? Why, why, why? And when bad things happen to us, you know, the first thing that usually leaves our mouth is, why? Why did this happen to me? Why now? My loved one? Why, why, why? You know, I think of Job. You know, think of all the bad things that happened to him. And I, I'm sure he asked why. You know, he, he asked, you know, why did I lose all, lose all my possessions? Why did I lose all my children? Why, why did this sickness come upon me? Why did my friends turn against me? Why did my wife turn against me? Why, 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 why? God never told him why. Never did. You know why? Because it's not for us to know all the whys of life. It's for us to trust him. You know, sometimes God has purposes we can't possibly understand. One of my favorite um, verses is Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. Where God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, sometimes we have a difficult time understanding it when God requires us to do hard things that might not make any sense to us at the time. But we need to remember that God is God. You know, we, we need to realize that we are God, <laughs> that God is God, and that He knows best, and that what He demands is always the best and the best thing that could possibly happen to us. And He has the right to, He has the right to demand anything and everything. Of us because he is worthy of our trust, regardless of what it might require. You know, are you familiar with the story of the potter and the clay? The potter and the clay. You know, um, the clay has no right to tell the potter what to do. The potter has the right to do with the clay whatever he desires. You know, the clay doesn't say to the potter. I want you to make me like this. Or I want you to do this. No. The potter does with the clay as he desires. And you know, sometimes we get it reversed. Sometimes we think that we're the potter. <laughs> we think that we know what's best in our lives. But that's not true. God always knows what's best. So God goes to Hosea. Getting back to the story. He goes back to Hosea. And he tells him that Gomer is going to bear him three children, okay? Two boys and a girl. And when they are born, God's going to name them. And that name is going to picture his relationship with Israel. So Hosea, he starts courting Gomer. He falls madly in love with her. He proposes marriage, and guess what? Gomer says yes. They get married, and at first, everything just seems to be right, perfect in every way. And maybe Hosea really thinks, man, my marriage might not turn out so bad after all. 
I mean, things are going so good. Maybe, maybe God just didn't understand this quite right. Well, they start their family right off. The first child is born. It's a boy, and God named him Jezreel, which means cast away. Now, what is the significance of the name Jezreel? Well, do you remember the story of um, Queen Jezebel? It was Queen Jezebel. It was Queen Jezebel that was married to King Ahab. And, you know, they were the most wicked king and queen that Israel has ever had. And it was Queen Jezebel that convinced her husband Ahab to steal his neighbor Nabal's vineyard and have him killed. And that's exactly what happened. Well, eventually, God judged. Ahab, King Ahab, he was killed in battle. And, uh, you know, he was in his chariot, you know, riding in his chariot. And the enemy soldier, you know, sent, sent an arrow. And it went in the crevice between his armor and killed him. Signifying that this was something God was doing. So God judged Ahab. And, um, and he judged Jezebel. She died a gruesome death. This is what happened. One day, she was looking out her window at her palace, and, and General Jehu, who had already declared himself to be king, he was in the courthouse, courtyard, excuse me, and he saw her up there, you know, in her palace, and he ordered his servants to go up there and throw her down from the window. And they did. And she fell to the ground and burst open, and the dogs came and licked up her blood and ate her up, and the only thing that was left was her skull, her feet, and her hands. And the courtyard was called Jezreel ever since. It was a place of shame for Israel. So Jezreel means cast away. God named their first child cast away. As Jezebel was cast away in judgment, God is saying that he will cast away Israel unless she returns to the Lord and turns from her sin. Well, in time, it wasn't long, maybe, you know, nine, ten, twelve months later, another child was born, a daughter, and her name was Lo Ruhamah, which means not pitied. And what God was saying here is that he would no longer have pity on Israel if they continued in their rebellion and their sin. See, God had been patient with Israel for years and years and years. But his patience was wearing thin. And either they would repent and turn to God or God was going to bring judgment upon them. And then the next baby was born, another boy. And God named this child Lo Ami, which means not my people. And God was saying to Israel, God was saying to Israel, because you have turned from me, you are not my people, and I'm not your God. Now, what does this teach us? It teaches us, I believe, that sin severs relationship. You know, that's true in, in, with everything. Sin severs relationship. Sin severs relationships uh, between Christians. Maybe there is a broken relationship in your life, and the reason there's this broken relationship is because of sin. Sin has come in between you 
and your brother or sister in Christ. Sin severs relationships within families. Sin severs relationships uh, within the church. But sin also severs relationships with God. And Israel's sin and rebellion has severed God's relationship with his people. However, it would not be permanent. There will come a day of restoration. So in the midst of this coming judgment that Hosea talks about, there is hope for restoration. There's hope for reconciliation with God in Israel. And this is what God says in chapter 2, verse 23. God says, And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, You are my people. And he that is Israel shall say, You are my God. Isn't that just like our God? Even in the midst of impending judgment, God extends his mercy and his grace. God will always forgive if we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus. You know, I think of 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is long-suffering towards us, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is a long-suffering God. He will forgive if we turn to him. Max Licato, in his book, No Wonder Why They Call Him Savior, writes a moving account about forgiveness. I want you to listen to this, this story. This is a true story. Longing to leave her poor Brazilian neighborhood, Christina wanted to see the world. Discontent with a home having only a pallet on the floor, a wash basin, and a wooden burning stove, she dreamed to a better life in the city. One morning, she slipped away, breaking her mother's heart. Knowing what life on the street would be like for her young, attractive daughter, Maria hurried back, hurriedly packed to go find her. On her way to the bus stop, she entered a drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She sat in the photography booth, closed the curtain, and spent all that she could on pictures of herself. With her purse full of, a small, of, of small black and white photos, she boarded the next bus to Rio de Janeiro. Maria knew Christi, uh, Christina had no way of earning money. She also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to give up. When pride meets hunger, a human a human will do things that were before un- unthinkable. Knowing this, Maria began her search. Bars, hotels, nightclubs, the place where the reputation for streetwalkers or prostitutes. She went to them all, and at each place she left her picture. Taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin bar- board, fastened to a corner phone booth, And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. It wasn't long before both the money and the pictures ran out, and Maria had to go home. The weary mother wept as the bus began its long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that the young Christina descended the hotel stairs. Her young face was tired. Her brown eyes no longer danced with youth but spoke of pain and fear. Her laughter was broken. Her dream had become a nightmare, 
A thousand times over, she had longed to trade these countless beds for her secure pallet on the floor. Yet the little village was, in too many ways, too far away. As she reached the bottom of the stairs, her eyes noticed a familiar face. She looked again, and there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mother. Christina's eyes burned and her throat tightened as she walked across the room and removed the small photo. Written on the back was this compelling invitation. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. My friend, isn't those the words that God speaks to us when we turn from our sin and turn to Him? It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you have become. Come home. Come home. That might be what you might need to do today. You might need to come home to Him. Well, finally, Gomer breaks Hosea's heart as God said she would, as God said she would, and begins to go with other men. She begins to prostitute herself. Eventually, she leaves Hosea and passes from man to man until her lovers couldn't take care of her or meet any of her needs. Hosea hears about Gomer's misery, and unknowing to Gomer, he provides for her every need with food and clothing. You know, that's what love does. In spite of the hurt, in spite of the betrayal, in spite of the disappointment, in spite of the unfaithfulness, love keeps on loving. You know, that's what the Bible says about love. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8, love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that true? And then 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And also Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Well, finally, Gomer hits rock bottom. That's what eventually happens, (laughs) And Hosea hears that she is being sold as a slave on the auction block. Ravi Zacharias, he writes these words. He says, sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. And those words became a reality for Gomer. Could that be true about you? Has sin taken you farther than you want to go? Has it kept you longer than you want to stay? Has it cost you more than you want to pay? It must have broken Hosea's heart to see her standing there on the auction block. Just imagine that. Half naked under the lustful stare of wicked men. But there she was. The auctioneer, he starts bidding. Do I hear three pieces of silver? Do I hear five pieces of silver? Do I hear ten pieces of silver? Ten pieces of silver going once. Ten pieces of silver going twice. And then, at that very moment, Hosea bids 15 pieces of silver and a bushel of barley. All he had, I'm sure. 
And the auctioneer's gavel fell. And he says, sold to Hosea for 15, for 15 pieces of silver and a bushel of barley. And just like that, Hosea's love redeems Gomer. He leads her away. He takes her home. And he says to her in chapter 3, verse 3, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be with you. Now, friends, that's love. Hosea pledges his love to her. Again, in spite of her betrayal, in spite of her unfaithfulness, in spite of her shame, Hosea forgives everything she had done. He says to her, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, it doesn't matter. I want you home. And she came home. Gomer turns to the one who loved her all along, who never stopped loving her. And their marriage was restored. You know, I don't know about you, but I love happy endings. I really do. You know, I don't like these tragedies, you know, that you feel terrible when it's all over. You know, I love happy endings. And the story of Hosea and Gomer has a happy ending. They lived happily ever after. It's that kind of story. It's that kind of story. The story of Hosea and Gomer is a picture of the story of God and Israel. And it's a story with a happy ending too. See, the book of Hosea is not only a story of Hosea's love for Gomer. It's a story of God's love for Israel. And just think about Israel's history. Just for a moment, as we come to a close, God chose Israel to be his wife at Mount Sinai. A covenant love relationship was established. They were married. Israel pledged to love and to obey God and keep his law. Yet what did Israel do? Israel turned from God and ran after other gods, ran after the Baals, prostituted herself. And as a result of her sin, she suffered greatly. She was uprooted out of the promised land and and she was scattered among the nations. Yet God never stopped loving his people, never did. And the day is coming, the day is coming when she will be restored back to him. See, this final picture of, in Hosea looks to that day when Israel shall return to her God, her true husband. If you look with me at verse 4 in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 4, we read, For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephah. This prophecy is being fulfilled as we stand, sit here today. Today, the children of Israel dwell without a king, without a prince, without a sacrifice, without a priesthood. Ever since Titus, the Roman general, in 70 AD, destroyed Jerusalem, there has not been a king or prince who had the right to reign in Israel. Neither has there been a sacrifice or priesthood, no temple. And that's the way it is even today in Israel. She's back in the land, but she has no king. There's no sacrifice. There's no priesthood. 
But the prophet Hosea, he looks down into the future when Israel returns to her Messiah. In verse 5 of chapter 3, we read, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord. Fear of the Lord is to trust Him and to His goodness in the latter days. See, this is Israel's hope and future. She will turn to Messiah Jesus and He will be her King. However, this story isn't just about Hosea and Gomer. It's not just about God and Israel. It's about you and me. It's our story too. And if you don't see you in this story, you have missed it completely. You really have. You know why? Because we've all prostituted ourselves. Isn't that true? We've all prostituted ourselves spiritually. We have all gone after other gods. We've all been unfaithful to Him. And the Bible has a name for that. And the name for that is sin. The Bible says we were all born into this world sinners. Separated from God. And the Bible says if we die in our sin, we will be separated from Him from all eternity in a terrible place called hell. And see, the gospel has good news and it all has, also has bad news. And see, the bad news is about us. The good news is about Him. And see, the bad news is that we're all sinners, separated from God. But the good news is that God sent a rescuer to rescue us from our sin. And his name is Jesus. He's the Son of God. And he came into this world just like the Scripture said he would. He was born of a virgin, God himself. He lived a sinless life. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Don't you see, my friend, on the cross, God punished Jesus in our place as our substitute for our sin. So that he won't have to punish us. Suppose you got in big trouble. Big trouble. In fact, you killed someone. And they were about to put you to death. You were on death row. You were about to be executed. Suppose, this would never happen, but suppose I went to the warden and I said, listen... Let me get in that chair instead of him. Now, if he agreed to do that, he wouldn't, of course, but if he would agree to that, and I got in that chair and I was executed, you wouldn't have to be. You see, in reality, that's what Jesus did for us. He got in that chair so that we don't have to get in the chair. The noose was around his neck so that it won't have to be around our neck. He was crucified on the cross so that we won't have to be crucified, so that we don't have to be separated from God for all eternity. See, he died the death that we don't have, so that we don't have to die. And after Jesus died, died, what happened? They took his body down from the cross They placed it in a tomb, but on the third day he rose again from the dead, proving that he indeed is our Redeemer. And after his resurrection, Jesus went back to heaven from whence he came. 
And now, at the right hand of God the Father, listen to this. He is ready and able to save all those who come to God through him. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me and I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will restore you. I will give you the life that you should live. Are you willing to turn to Jesus and embrace him as your only Savior? You know, that's the question. Are you willing? He's willing. (laughs) Are you willing to turn to him and embrace Jesus as your only Savior? What a beautiful story. But it's not just about a man and a woman. It's not just about God and Israel. It's about all of us. That we are deserving of punishment and condemnation. But Jesus loved us so much. He made a way for us to live forever with him. And to be forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. My friend, if you're here today... And you don't have the hope of eternal life. If you don't have the hope that when you die, you will be with God in heaven. If you don't have that hope, if there's a question in your your heart and life where you will spend eternity, I encourage you to get it right today. Get it right today. Turn to Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your love. We Thank you so much for this story. We thank you so much that we see in this story ourselves. And we see Christ's love for us. Lord, I pray that you will do your work in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that you will draw people to yourself. Lord, you've heard... We've heard your word, Lord. I just pray that the Holy Spirit of God might accomplish what he intends in each life here today. For we pray in his name, the name of Christ. Amen.